As Bernard said earlier, this morning we're looking at living a life of integrity, which is uh, quite a challenging passage for me to take. But please don't forget that all of us, me included, we're all on that journey. So I haven't got it all sorted. Um, so please bear with me. But as I'm talking about integrity, I thought I'd better start by making sure that I'm completely up front with you and tell you that I preached on exactly the same subject with exactly the same passage four years ago from exactly the same spot. (laughs) So if you were here, you might recognise some of what I say, or maybe that's wishful thinking. Uh, Actually, I'm not going to simply repeat what I said then. God's word is living and it comes to us with a different emphasis each time we read it because life changes. Four years ago, I was still working full-time at Ford. Now I'm retired, but working part-time in school. Four years ago, my mum was still alive. I didn't have any grandchildren. My sister looked as though she was going to win her fight against cancer. And there are other things that have happened in the last four years that are perhaps not as easy to talk about. Things change in our lives, but how do we react? We're followers of Jesus, but it can be testing as things change. Do we hold true to our faith? Is there integrity? Do we grow in our understanding and in our faith? Life events aren't always easy to handle, and I haven't always got it right either. But thank God that he provides for us and that he's patient with us. Let's have a look at our reading in Matthew 5, verses 33 to 37. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no No. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. By the way, I'm not going to be commenting on verse 36. This passage follows on from the Beatitudes and it's still a part of the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes are sometimes referred to as the beautiful attitudes. Integrity is perhaps a thing of beauty to know that there's no difference between what's said and what's thought, between what's intended and what's done. It's a precious thing to know there's a genuineness in a person's character, no shadow of doubt. In essence, integrity is a very simple thing, but we seem to have made it complicated. It's as though society's created different levels of integrity, and that depends on the situation. And normally when I prepare, one of the first things I look at once I've read the passage is the notes in my study Bible. So I did. There weren't any. None at all. Obviously they thought we didn't need any. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Nothing added, nothing taken away, nothing hidden. What's to explain? I've managed to get about 25 minutes out of it, but... But I've heard the exasperated parent or teacher say to a child, 
what part of no don't you understand? <laughs> and of course we could add what part of yes don't you understand? We have to follow through on all our promises, not just some of them, not just when it suits. There was a recent Mori poll found that 70% of the public felt that politicians and government couldn't be trusted to tell the truth. George Bush, when he was standing for president, said, read my lips, no new taxes. And it's widely thought that this helped him to win the election. Well, it's reported that there were no new taxes. And so he kept his promise in that sense. But existing taxes rose considerably. And that promise came back to bite him when he stood for a further term and lost to Bill Clinton. Oh dear. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. He was later impeached, as we know, for lying under oath. We'll have to wait and see how Mr Trump performs against his election pledges. <laughs> and of course, many of our own politicians have gone back on what they've promised as well. So what can you believe in a newspaper? Well, I sometimes wonder if it's just the date. On a very small scale, I've been misquoted in a paper which caused me some difficulty and a little ridicule, but it helped me to realise that you can't believe everything you see or hear in the news. Unfortunately, throughout society, there's dishonesty, benefit fraud. I'm sure we all agree we need to support those in genuine need but the system can be abused by the less scrupulous. In sport, drug taking, match fixing, diving to win a foul. There's often a fine line between tax avoidance and tax evasion. Perhaps we're cautious when we deal with estate agents, used car salesmen, car servicing, builders and building trade. The list could go on but of course it's a generalisation. We live in a time when deception is commonplace. Dishonesty no longer seems as inherently bad, especially if you think you'll get away with it, and particularly if no one is really harmed or everyone is doing it. Now having said what I said about newspapers, it might seem a bit strange I'm going to quote for one, but a Sunday Times uh, article recently said under the old moral code, a lie was a lie. Now it's perfectly okay to manipulate the facts in a good cause. Perhaps to get your child's place in a school or to get yourself out of a commitment you no longer feel able to fulfil. It's interesting though that it refers to manipulating the facts. Even the choice of words doesn't sound quite as bad as manipulating the truth. The society that Jesus was speaking into was just as dishonest and corrupt as ours and so his words should impact us just as much now as they did then. Although it's been a few weeks, it was just a few minutes earlier in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus was talking about being salt and light in our society, making a difference. And last week, as it's been referred to a couple of times, when we were together as a church, Ian said that this year we'd be looking at what it means to be an effective church, although his first term we're finishing off with Christian character. Well, we can't be an effective church if we don't show integrity, so they are linked. We'll quickly fall if people don't see us living out what we hear on a Sunday. 
it won't take you long for them to scratch the surface and realise there's not much depth to us. That wouldn't be an effective church. It's sobering to think that the only experience that a lot of people have of Jesus is you or me or another Christian. What they see and experience in us is what they see of Jesus. How can a church be effective without people showing their Christian character? Or put it around the other way, what sort of witness are we if we say one thing and we do another? If we look good on the outside but don't follow through on the inside? We need to be people of honesty, integrity, reliability and accountability. Our truthfulness shouldn't need to be questioned. It takes just a moment to lose just one of these and it takes a long time to restore them. Just for a moment, could you imagine what it would be like if we had a God who didn't care much for integrity? If we couldn't actually be sure that what God says will always stand? If things depended on how God felt or on the situation rather than what he had promised? Why should it be any different for us, his children? God loves integrity. David said in 1 Chronicles, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. That's personal integrity. You had to actually bring in gifts at the time for the building of the temple. When Moses was struggling under the burden of leadership, Jethro, his father-in-law, offered this advice in Exodus 18. Select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. Or as it says in the message version, keep a sharp eye out for competent men, men who fear God, men of integrity, men who are incorruptible and appoint them as leaders. That's integrity in society. God loves integrity. So how do we measure up? Integrity must be in our whole lives and not just a part of it. Rick Warren, who I'm sure you know as the author of The Purpose Driven Life, talks about the possibility of making the Titanic mistake. Now, we all know the Titanic set sail in 1912 and it was considered unsinkable due to the new thinking on its construction. The hull of a ship was divided into 16 watertight compartments and it was designed to be stable if up to four of these flooded. On its maiden voyage, the ship sank and more than 1,500 people died. Originally, I thought it sank because it hit an iceberg which created a gash in the side that was simply too big. In 1985, the wreckage was found and there was no sign of a gash. The hull hadn't been ruptured, so why had it sunk? Well, the impact of the collision had buckled or loosened seams in the hull, which caused them to separate, and that allowed the water to flood in and sink the ship. The impact of one compartment had affected all the others. So what's Rick Warren's Titanic mistake? It's when we try to compartmentalise our lives, saying, this is my church life where God's involved, and this is my work life where God can't be involved. 
or this is my social life where I don't want God to be involved. We can't do that. We can't compartmentalise, and I can't even say it. We can't separate our lives if we want to live with integrity. We can't make the mistake of thinking that one compartment, one part, won't affect another, won't affect another, it will. We need to have God in the centre, affecting everything that we do. As I said earlier, I don't work full-time anymore, but when I was, it wasn't always the easiest environment working for a large corporate company with a long industrial history. The company had changed significantly from the top down. It was quite different when I left to when I first joined. But there were still pockets of old school thinking around. There were times when I was pressured from above to do things I knew were against the spirit of the company policy. But it would be advantageous to me to agree. And there were times when people who worked for me wanted me to turn a blind eye. And of course, if you did, it would make things easier, at least in the short term. I've got Adrian watching me carefully there as an HR manager from Ford. (laughs) (laughs) Got to look after my pension. (laughs) But it was always interesting that as the company changed, it became more receptive to being questioned. It's funny, actually, how sometimes language is used and you don't really think about it, and then one day it hits you and you have to question it. Quality was rightly always a major concern, and the processes and standards were often referred to as the quality bible. Although I'd used the term for some years, just like everyone else, one day I felt uncomfortable, and I felt challenged to write to the vice president who had responsibility for diversity, explaining my concern. You can imagine my finger hovered for a while over the send button. But he accepted my comments and the term was dropped. As we grow in our faith, we should find, find ourselves questioning what we may have accepted for years and changing. I didn't always have the authority to do what I wanted to do at work, but when I spoke with someone, I would make my intention clear, but also that I couldn't promise to deliver, although it didn't always satisfy them. But that's okay. As long as we remain in communication, what was important was that he knew where I stood, he knew what I was committed to, and that if things changed that were out of my control, I'd go back and discuss it with him. It wasn't always easy, but openness and honesty builds trust and integrity. As I was talking with Ian uh, a few days ago, and he's in Sunnymead speaking on the same subject, as you know, across the three congregations, one church, we try to stay together. As I was talking to him about this morning, he mentioned that where he worked, they were asked to consider whether they'd be happy with what they said, wrote, or did being printed in the newspaper. We're called to act with integrity wherever we are, whatever we're doing, and we shouldn't try to compartmentalise our lives. It's not about pretending to be something that we're not. It's about allowing God to change us and allowing his grace to minister to us. Integrity should influence the whole of our lives. 
And then there should be integrity in our word. When we give our word, when we make a promise, we should mean it and we should keep it. God hears every word that we utter. And so our words and our lives should be consistent. All promises are sacred since they're all made in the presence of God. There can't be a difference depending on the words that we use. Now, I hope I'm allowed to do this in church, but we're going to listen to a song from the charts of a a few years back, not from Songs of Fellowship. (laughs) It's only for a couple of minutes, and I have played it before, and I wasn't taking out a membership then, so I guess it's okay. But listen to the words and think about our subject of integrity. You don't mean it You keep telling me no And try to Christian song is obviously about the commitment between a man and a woman. But when I read the passage that we're thinking about this morning, that song immediately came to mind. My apologies to those significantly younger than me. <laughs> 1971, that version, it was actually first in 1968. The words of this verse are quite challenging when you think of them in the context of this morning. A plastic smile putting on an exterior that's not the same as what's inside, looking into someone's eyes and realising that they're saying one thing but thinking another. I like the way the songwriter expresses the next two lines. Outright lies and indefinite style. Or put another way, avoiding the truth. And he finishes with a call to free your honesty. And the third line of the chorus is also quite telling. A singer is on his guard and watching carefully because he can't be sure what's true and what's not. In our passage, Jesus said, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you've made to the Lord. Jesus isn't actually quoting an Old Testament verse there, but summarising Old Testament teaching. In the Old Testament, God allowed people to make vows using his name to reinforce their commitment 
and once made, they had to be kept. And the intention was to stop the lying. The Old Testament was against all false swearing and perjury. And there was a lot of teaching in the first five books of the Bible about the right way to live as God established the nation of Israel. And in Leviticus 19, it says, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive, do not swear, uh, do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And in Numbers it says, when a man makes a vow to the Lord, sorry about that one, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he must not break his word but do everything he says. But the Pharisees have constructed an entire legal system around those laws with distinctions about the type of promise and whether or not they were binding. Vows that included God's name were binding, but a person didn't need to be so careful if God's name wasn't included. The idea was that if God's name was used, he was a party to the agreement. If not, then he had nothing to do with it. Oaths by heaven and earth were not binding. And so the evasive swearing of oaths became a justification for lying. Instead of reinforcing promises, oaths actually provided loopholes for people to break their commitments. It reminds me of when I was a kid in the playground. I might make a promise, but if my fingers were crossed behind my back, it didn't count. God simply wants us to stand by our word and do what's right. We should be our own guarantor. Actually, it's not a question of bringing God into our promises. We can't keep him out. We can't choose when God's involved. He is. God with us, Emmanuel. Not sometimes, not if we choose, but always. But we can and should call on God to help us to stand when the pressure's mounting and not to buckle under pressure. And I'll finish with thinking about our heart's response to integrity. We'll be challenged as we grow in our Christian lives and we may need to change some things as we go, as as we grow. Children grow, they change, and we're children of God. We know that King David didn't always get it right, but we need to echo his words. His heart's cry in Psalm 51 when he says, Create in me a pure heart. Although the Pharisees hated Jesus because of the way he challenged them, they still said of him, we know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. And that's how we need to be. It's when our hearts are truly surrendered to God that there is integrity between our thoughts, our words and our actions. Jesus' disciples were criticised by the Pharisees for not washing their hands before eating. Not for hygiene reasons, but for their religious reasons. They were breaking the tradition. And so Jesus calls the people together and says to them, what goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that's what makes him unclean. And he goes on to explain, whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, 
sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. We can't keep hidden what's in our hearts. It will come out. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus explains what murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander really mean. He's peeling away the layers and explaining what it takes to please God. Simple, straightforward truthfulness. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Jesus' name is to be honoured and so if our integrity fails, we bring dishonour to his name. We bring dishonour because if we claim to follow him, if we're his representatives here on earth and we don't live in truth and in integrity, then we're denying what he said because he is the truth. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. We don't need to swear by anything. Our words should be our bond. Basically, honest people don't need to resort to oaths. Spurgeon said that we shouldn't swear an oath in court. And traditionally, Quakers have taken that line. So do we need to take that line? Personally, I don't think so. Remember, we live in a fallen world. Yes, we should be known for our honesty. But Jesus responded to an oath at his trial. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Yes, it is, as you say, Jesus replied. And throughout his letters, Paul uses solemn expressions to appeal to God. He says, I call to God to be my witness. I assure you before God, I charge you before the Lord. What's most important is we tell the truth and that we don't dishonour his name. Nicky Gumbel, the creator of the Alpha Course, tells a story of a man named Gibbo. That was his nickname. He worked as a clerk to Mr Selfridge. One day he answered the phone and a caller asked to speak to Mr Selfridge. Tell him I'm out, he replied. You tell him you're out, responded Gibbo. Mr Selfridge took the call but was furious. Afterwards, Gibbo explained, if I can lie for you, I can lie to you. From then on, Mr Selfridge had the highest regard for him and the greatest trust in Gibbo. Slightly different story of a little boy, he's told. His teachers told him to sit down. He refused. Teacher told him a second time and a third time and he still refused. Exasperated, the teacher told him again and added that he'd be punished if he didn't. As the boy sat down, he said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but on the inside I'm standing up. (laughs) The application of the word is important and we need to look at our lives. We need to be the same on the inside and on the outside. How are we with our employer? Do we throw the odd sickie rather than book a day's holiday? How's timekeeping? What's our tax return like? 
If we say that we're going to do something, can we rely upon to do it? When we're confronted with a difficult situation, can we confidently be expected to tell the truth? We only have one heart. And so having a heart of integrity must affect our whole lives. If we commit to doing something, do we follow that through? In our marriage, in our families, in our church membership, are we regularly worshipping together and attending church members' meetings? How do our neighbours view us and how do we see them? Do we speak out when we know that it's right that we should? Are we bold enough to speak the truth when we know that it might suffer because of it? There's lots of opportunities or temptations, all sorts, put in our way to compromise our honesty and integrity. But let's ask God to show us where we need to change so that as the layers are peeled away, we're the same right through. We have integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. In German, yes is ja, no is nein. But you sometimes hear the word jein, a combination of the two. Jein is an expression of uncertainty, indecision or compromise. But with God, there is only clarity, honesty, truth and integrity. Jesus is the yes of God. As God is true, it says in 2 Corinthians, as God is true, the language with which we address you is not an ambiguous blend of yes and no. The Son of God, Christ Jesus, proclaimed among you by us was never a blend of yes and no. He is the yes, pronounced upon God's promises, every one of them. That is why we give the glory to God. True integrity is when our lives, our words, our hearts are all in alignment and there's no great difference between our public and private lives. Integrity is doing the right thing even when no one's watching. It may be a struggle at times, a challenge, but one that we can win with the Spirit's help. I'll give John Stott the last word. He's a far better preacher than I. He said, when Jesus is Lord of our beliefs, opinions, standards, values and lifestyles, then we're integrated Christians. Then integrity marks our lives. Only when he is God, when he is Lord, do we become whole. God loves integrity. This last week, we've had a week of prayer. And Ian has used the word authenticity. It's very similar to integrity. And if you've followed that, Just reflect on that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you want us to be authentic. You want us to have integrity. Lord, you want us to shine out for you. You want us to be authentic, walking in the light. You want us to be authentic, being like Christ. You want us to be authentic, loving one another and those around us, living in your love. Lord, help us to be authentic and to be effective and to show integrity to your glory. Amen.